At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. We invite you to join us for our series, Overflow, from Him, through us, for all, as we explore Paul's letter to the Church of Corinth. Together, we'll focus our attention on the gifts of God and see that we're not meant to keep His blessings to ourselves, but to live as vessels of His abounding grace. But you know, these annual celebrations uh, really are almost like um, your, your annual checkup at your doctor's office. You guys know what I'm talking about. It's kind of like a physical. You go to your doctor's office. There's a part of it that uh, makes you a little bit nervous, right? Because when you go to your doctor's office, they're going to test your, your vitals. They're going to check your blood pressure. They're going to draw your blood and do all of this lab work. And then your doctor, after a week or so, will call you back for the results. And when you go back in, they're going to have all of these details about what that physical revealed. Some things they'll celebrate. Maybe your cholesterol level is down, like mine was at my last physical. Now, come on and give God praise uh, for that. It's amazing what happens when you drive by McDonald's instead of stopping. Uh, you keep praying for me, all right? Uh, but, but they'll also tell you some things you need to do to improve, right? They'll say, hey, you need to do this in order to stay on track or in order to uh, um, get better in, in your health. And so in many ways tonight, and even starting now, uh, we got to look at how we're doing. And there's a lot of vital signs, if you will, that kind of reveal how we're doing. I just want to talk about one of them uh, this morning. And, and really, it's set at the backdrop of our current cultural moment. You know, years from now, sociologists will do what they do, and that is they will try to coin a term or a phrase that captures or describes our moment. And when they look back on this moment, I wonder what word or phrase they would coin. I think there's a lot of different uh, ones you can pick from, but I think maybe what coins, uh, what phrase uh, describes us the best is the phrase uh, conflict culture. That's what we're living in. Have you noticed that? That we're living in a conflict culture, a culture that is marked by retaliation, uh, marked by divisions, marked by uh, arguments, intentions. Some have even described it as the age of outrage. Anybody notice that? Uh, we may not know who or what we're for, but we certainly know who we're against. We certainly know what gets us angry. And you've seen it in the partisan tensions, the hyper-political tensions. You've seen it in the ethnic tensions, no doubt. You've even seen it in generational tensions or gender tensions or geographical tensions. And all of this stuff marks our current moment. And if you're not outraged already, just hop on Twitter when you wake up in the morning. They'll give you a hundred good reasons on why you should be angry and give you some recommendations on who you should be mad at. This is exactly the moment that we live in. But yet Christians have been called to be countercultural. We were never called to just simply fit in. We were always in Christ called to be boldly different. You know, Paul says it this way in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse number 20, he says that you and I have been given this awesome ministry of reconciliation, whereby we call men to be reconciled to God. 
Isn't that different than the message you're hearing now? We don't hear many people popularizing the message of reconciliation, but what a broken world needs more than anything else is not how to call out the bad actors only, because all that does is lead to a punitive culture, but what we need is the answer to the question of how is redemption found and where can I find reconciliation for my broken heart and for my broken relationships? And into this vacuum steps the gospel. The church is supposed to be a picture of God's power through the gospel to reconcile what has been broken. But I'll say this, and that is that an unreconciled church will never reach an unreconciled world. I think there's one passage of scripture that speaks to this powerfully uh, today, and that is Ephesians chapter two. I would love for you to join me there in Ephesians uh, chapter two. And I'm, I'm grateful that today is one of those rare days where across all 14 campuses, this message is being heard. And I'm grateful for all of our uh, church family in different locations, but one church family. Now, in Ephesians chapter two, Paul's main subject and theme is grace. We're just saying about how glorious grace is, but it's probably far more glorious, far more powerful, far more impressive than what any of us really understand. I don't know if we'll fully understand the depths of it this side of heaven, but we have all of eternity with Jesus to, to kind of figure this, this thing out. But Paul was talking about, about grace and how grace has brought together men who were irreconciled to God brought us together in Christ, and then it's brought us together with one another. We have been reconciled in Christ. We're gonna see this today. Verse 11 through 13 gives us one section, and then verses 14 through 19 gives us a second section. Let's look at verse 11. It says here, therefore remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenant of promise, covenant to promise, having no hope and without God in the world. Let me stop there. I'll pick up verse 13 in just a moment. Paul starts this section with the word therefore. That's how you know it's a new section. Paul always starts new sections with that word therefore or so then. And then he goes to the key word for this section. It is remember. Remember. In the Greek, this word uh, causes us to consider uh, rehearsing in our minds, to bring back to our recollections, to never forget. And what does Paul want his readers to never forget? He wants them to never forget who they were before they came to meet Christ. Don't ever get so distant from your conversion or salvation experience that you forget who you were before you met Christ. And how does he describe who they were before they met Christ? He says, in essence, it was bad. It wasn't just bad, it was bad, bad. It was utterly bad. They were utterly hopeless because they were utterly godless. Look at the five things he says. Remember that you were separated from Christ, one, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel or God's people, two, strangers to the covenants of promise, three, having no hope for and without God in the world, five. It doesn't get much worse. They were hopeless. 
They were godless. They were strangers. They were separated. There's one word in here that really stands out to me. They were alienated. Probably alienated uh, is the umbrella word in in this description. This word alienated means to exclude. They were excluded. They were excluded from God's grace and blessing. How many remember feeling like that? Like you were outside of relationship with God. Knowing what it's like to be excluded from God's blessing is something we should never forget because it becomes the foundation of our worship and our praise because we remember what it's like to feel far from God. And this is what it was to be a Gentile. If you were a Gentile, meaning that you were born not as an ethnic uh, ethnic Jew, but you were born ethnically non-Jewish, you were known for your abuse, you were known for your addictions, your indulgences, you were known as someone who caused harm to others and someone who even caused harm to yourself. And you know, when we gather in here this morning, there are many of you that have tasted of God's grace and have come a long way, but yet there are also people uh, that may be listening to me right now that feel so unworthy of salvation not even worthy to uh, come into a church. And if you did come into a church, uh, wouldn't sit in the front row, probably sit in the back row. I just want you to know, I know what that's like. I know what it's like to feel like, God, I have blown it so much that there's no way that I deserve mercy and grace and love. I know what it's like to feel like there's no way that God should show me any mercy or grace or love at all. And maybe that's you. This passage is for you because into this this, uh, sense of hopelessness and godlessness and utter separation steps verse number 13. And in verse number 13, we see this, but now. How many praise God for but now? I love that. that. That says that everything that happened prior to now is changed by what is about to happen. But now, Christ in Christ Jesus, you who were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Now, I love that Paul starts here because what he wants us to understand is you think about all the tensions of our day, all the earthly tensions, all the cultural divisions of our day, and they pale in comparison to the tension that existed between fallen men and a holy God. My friends, if we can understand how Christ through the cross reconciles us to God, then all these other earthly divisions become easy for us to see the power of God's grace overcoming. The fact is, is that we were outsiders, but God has brought us near. And not only has he brought us near, but now we are sons and daughters. We are uh, in the family of God. We receive favor. You know, what's amazing about my children is they don't ask for permission to uh, receive blessing or favor from me. My kids just kind of come up. My little Christiana knows that no matter what daddy is doing, if she just lifts her arm up, how can I say no to that? Right? That is like kryptonite to Superman. She lifts those arms up, and the next thing you know, I'm stopping studying or uh, talking to other people, whatever is consuming my time, and she is in my arms. Well, in the same way, when we turn to Jesus, uh, because of what he has accomplished on that cross, 
The Father receives us. And what Paul says here is that we have been reconciled by his grace to God. Grace reconciles us to God. Now, now as I read this, I can't help but to think of people who seem to be beyond the reach of salvation. Have you ever uh, met someone who you're surprised that they ever came to Christ? Have you ever met someone, maybe you are that person. Maybe you, you're that person who nobody would have ever expected to be in a worship service on a Sunday morning. But I think Paul wants us to have that type of person in mind because he's trying to paint a picture that even the most extreme cases that God can heal. You're never beyond God's ability to save. Uh, one example of this is someone that I got to know over the years before they went home to be with Jesus. Uh, it's a name that some of you will know, the rest of you will have to Google, depending on what your age is. This will reveal your, your age. How many know the name Chuck Colson? Chuck Colson. Some of you happily admit it, some of you want to pretend to be young and so you don't raise your hand. That's all right. But if you don't know the name Chuck Colson, you should. Because Chuck, I think, embodies this. Chuck was born in Boston, and if you know anything about the Northeast, it's not a bastion for evangelical Christianity. He was born in a Catholic community, but his family was nominally uh, religious at all, probably more agnostic. He grew up with zero God consciousness. His God, as he would say, was success, and he was good at succeeding. He earned a scholarship to Brown University, studied law there, graduated graduated, and before he could start practicing, the Korean War started. So he went into the Marines, succeeded in the Marines. But all through this journey, his heart got hardened. Success became his God, and he was willing to do anything to make that happen. After he got out of the Marines, he started his law firm, was successful, and became known as the type of guy that not only got it done, but was willing to do whatever it took to get it done. He made a lot of friends and made a lot of people good money. One of his friends, Richard Nixon, decided to run for president. And surprise, surprise, he won. And when he won, he needed legal counsel. So he called his friend Chuck Colson. Their offices were right next to each other. He got this nickname. Some of you may know it. He became known as Nixon's Hatchet Man or Executioner. How many would like that nickname? Right? That's the type of guy that he was. Well, fast forward to 1972, Nixon runs for election and wins by landslide. At that time, the greatest landslide we had ever seen in a presidential election. It came out later that there had been some illegal activities, the whole conspiracy called Watergate. And who was the mastermind behind it? That's right, Chuck. Colson. Chuck Colson was the mastermind behind it, and uh, along the way, he had to sit before juries 44 times. But along the way, as his heart was hardened and his ethics were so godless, a friend, uh, another businessman, shares Jesus with him, Tom Tillerson, who had just come to Christ himself. He shared Jesus with him, so ashamed of uh, his inability to witness, he didn't even look Chuck in the eye. And he thought there was no way that Chuck would ever accept this testimony of Jesus Christ. He didn't know that a hard-hearted young man would leave his office and sit in his driveway and cry for an hour because although Chuck had success, he was empty on the inside. Isn't that life without Jesus? You can look good on the outside but be empty on the inside? Well, the rest 
as they say, is history. He ends up confessing and admitting to charges that they didn't even charge him with, goes to jail, and in jail starts a prison ministry and dedicates the rest of his life to serving Jesus. I don't care how far you are away from Christ or how far someone else seems to be away from Christ, there is no sin on earth that's greater than what Jesus did on Calvary. How many know that God's grace is able to reconcile us? So Paul says that God's grace reconciles us first to God, that all of us, if we call upon the name of the Lord, can be saved. Don't ever judge a book by its cover. There is no person that's too far away from salvation, not the Gentile, not the atheist, not the Muslim. No matter where you find yourself, God can save because of what Jesus did on Calvary. But then verse number 14 changes from the vertical reconciliation we have in Christ to the horizontal and more specifically to the church. It says here, for he himself, referring to Jesus, is our peace who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile, there it is, us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who are far off and peace to those who are near, for through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. This is good stuff. This is praiseworthy because what Paul is saying is that not only has God reconciled us to himself through Christ, but in Christ, he reconciles us to one another. Two words describe this particular section. The first is found in verse number 14. It's the word hostility. Some of your translations may even have the word barrier because that is exactly what exists between people groups. This is what Satan does. He creates barriers to separate people from one another. He doesn't care where our divisions come as long as we're declaring war on one another. So again, it could be a partisan barrier. It could be a gender barrier, a generational barrier, an ethnic barrier. But what Christ did on the cross tears down the hostility, thereby taking enemies and making them friends. In other words, the church is supposed to be the picture of what the gospel can do when people believe in Jesus. As we gather together, we're demonstrating to a watching world that every barrier comes down in Christ. How many think that's glorious and beautiful? So the second word that's here that I love in verse number 19 is no longer. That we are no longer strangers or separated or aliens or hopeless or godless. That all of the tensions that marked us previously out there should not mark us in here. This is what's powerful about the church. We're supposed to present not only a message to the world, but a picture to the world. We not only declare the message of reconciliation in Christ through faith, but we show the picture of it. 
That's what the church is supposed to do. It's one thing to talk about the divisions that are existing in our broader culture out there. It's an entirely other thing for it to be named among us. But if we look over the past year, what do we see? That so often the body of Christ was marked by the same divisions of the world. But I believe when we fix our eyes back on Jesus, on the gospel, unity emerges out of disunity. This is what I thank God for, for Woodside. You know, tonight our theme is entitled Better Together. And better together has dual meaning. On the one hand, it's our way of describing the power of corporate worship. Now, I know many of you have been watching us via technology, digital. Praise God for that over this past year. That's probably uh, been needed. But I have been on record saying that I believe technology is a wonderful supplement, but never a substitute for physical gathering. I'm going to say that again. Technology is a wonderful supplement, but never a substitute for physical gathering. While we want to be able to encourage you at home, we want you to come home and to be among your brothers and sisters physically worshiping at our campuses. But there's a second meaning to this better together theme, and that is a celebration of what God has done through our campuses, this unique model. I don't think there's another multi-site church that's quite like Woodside. It's, a, it's an interesting thing to have 14 campuses that look different. You know, most churches that do multi-site, they do it in the same type of cultural context. But Woodside has churches in suburban areas, in rural areas, in urban areas. And some would say, how do those pieces of the puzzle fit together? I love when I get a chance to tell people that we got campuses from Lapeer to Pontiac and watch them scratch their heads as they try to figure out how do those pieces of the puzzle fit together? Well, I'm glad you asked. It's because of Jesus, because Jesus is able to reconcile us and his grace is powerful enough to overcome every cultural barrier that exists out there. And if you read this carefully, you'll notice this, that Paul doesn't just call us one family, he calls us one body. That's powerful. Because there are annoying and unflattering parts of my body and yours. Maybe you don't have the cutest nose. Maybe your ears are getting a little bit dull of hearing. Maybe there's parts of your body that you don't find flattering, but you don't separate from uh, the parts of your body. It's all a part of who you are. And so it is within the body of Christ. We may be different, maybe at times unflattering, but we are one body in Jesus, unseparated, united in Christ. And when we are united, the gates of hell shall not prevail against the church. How many thank God that we are one and we are better together? Together, we're able to reach communities. Together, we are able to spread the gospel around the nations. Together, we are able to communicate God's love to the broken. Together, we are able to speak hope in a hopeless world. Together, we are able to demonstrate the power of God in Christ to reconcile us to himself and us to one another. And the church is a picture of that. This is why people everywhere desperately need Jesus, but also need churches because they need to see the message lived out. And so today is a historic day. Pastor EJ mentioned that in front of you, in the seat pocket in front of you, you have a ballot. 
I want you to pull this uh, ballot out. Today we get a chance to vote as members of this church family to see the gospel witness through Woodside expand into a new community, a new region. If you were to ask God, God, what is your answer to the conflict of our day, to the outrage of the moment, to the retaliation and divisions that we see all around us, his answer would simply be the church. Every community needs the church, both the message of Christ and the picture of what the gospel is able to do. Now, many of you have heard me talk about this merger. I won't bore you with all the details, but I'll just rehearse for just one moment for those who maybe have missed it, that for the past 18 months or so, our elders have been uh, in dialogue with, this, with the leadership of a wonderful church, Legacy Church, that is situated in Riverview, Michigan, a downriver community. They've been ministering there for about 60 years. Uh, this church is situated on five acres of land. Most of it is this well-manicured, beautiful field. And as nice as that field looks, what really gives the field its value is the fact that it is situated across the street from Riverview High School. Now, in Riverview High School, there are 1,200 young people. And the desire of this church that's growing in age but not lessening in desire to reach the next generation, the desire of this church is to merge with Woodside precisely with the goal of reaching young families in that community. If we have prayed and done all the due diligence, we held an elders meeting uh, last month. And there's some legalities that come along with that. And I just want to share with you that at that elders meeting, Abe Phillip, who is our vice chair of our elder board, put forth the motion that uh, is written here on this ballot that you'll see that we would merge with Legacy Church. And add that on as our 15th campus becoming Woodside Downriver. That uh, motion was uh, seconded by one of our Troy elders, Tony DiDepo. And then unanimously uh, it, it carried by way of recommendation to our church family uh, to affirm uh, this merger. And today you get a chance to be a part of this glorious moment and to let your voice be heard as well. So I want you to take out the ballot in front of you. I'll read the legal language and then we'll pray and we'll vote. Simply says here, the elders of Woodside Bible Church recommend to the Woodside members, the merger of Legacy Church of Riverview, Michigan, with Woodside Bible Church of Troy, our legal name, with Legacy Church becoming Woodside Bible Church Down River Campus. So it gives you a little bit of a description there on uh, what qualifies for membership, but I want you at this time to join me as we pray for God's word to touch that region and, uh, and that city and the families that are there. Let's pray together. Father, uh, we're, we're humbled that your love has reached us in spite of our weaknesses. And we're grateful that you have um, loved us and reconciled us to yourself. Thank you that we're part of this wonderful family, Woodside. And now, Lord, we sense your presence leading us. We're following you, Holy Spirit. And so, Lord, we pray that by your power, for your glory, and through your people, that a new generation would come to know Jesus and that the people of Riverview and Downriver would be greatly encouraged and that you, Lord, 
would pour out your blessing in abundance, giving life in that more abundantly. In Jesus' name, and all God's people said, amen. Well, at this time, I want to encourage you to check the box. Um, only vote, voting once. That was a joke. But as you get ready to leave today, and I'm going to dismiss us in prayer. That was a bad joke. But anyway, <laughs> I'll practice, and by 1130, it'll land well. Um, but as you leave today, there are tables with white boxes on them. Uh, what's really important is uh, please don't leave until you drop your ballot in one of those white boxes. Our elders will tabulate not only the votes from this campus, but our other campuses. And then tonight when we come back, uh, we'll celebrate and get a chance to announce the results. Uh, tonight is going to be uh, wonderful, so I hope that you carve out a little bit of time to be with us. We won't hold you too long, but it's good for us to pause and in a season where there's been so much grief and mourning to simply celebrate God's goodness. Let's stand together. I'm going to close us in prayer today. How many thank God for his glorious grace? Hey, I'd be remiss if you do, do not know Jesus and you need a relationship with him, I promise you, it'll be the best decision you've ever made. If you're watching us online, just simply type connect and one of our team members will follow up with you. If you are in the building, uh, our elders and leaders will be here to pray with you as well. So don't leave. If you're in need of prayer, it's our joy and our desire to pray with you and to tell you about God's love even more deeply. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for all that we've heard today. Thank you for reminding us of the truth of your word. Thank you for encouraging our hearts. May we go forth and be not only hearers of the word, but doers of it as well. We love you, we praise you, and we thank you. And it's in the mighty and matchless name of Jesus that all God's people said, amen. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself today.